Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fully Delighted Podcast. My name is Adam and I get to serve as the pastor of Central Ministries here at SMCC. And just happy to be with you guys. We've been doing this now for, this will be eight weeks straight now, um, going through the kingdom is like, and excited to have Eric and Trevor and you, the listener, here with us today. Yeah, great to be with you listeners. Great to be with you guys, my friends. I'm excited to uh, dive into Matthew chapter 18, wonderful section in the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, unpack this from a few different angles. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we just keep cranking away at this material. We got another parable coming up with the the kingdom is like. We're going through that. That phrase is used again in this in this section. Yep. Um, and yeah, this honestly is one of my favorite parables. I think yeah. it's very practical. Yeah. Next week will be the last one in the series that'll take us all the way into Easter, and then coming out of Easter, we have a series called Triage, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. And uh, you know, so hang tight to hear more about that. But uh, today we got the parable of the unforgiving servant. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we are in Matthew chapter 18, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I was just reading through it last, last night with my group, uh, starting verse 21, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, hey, you know what I just realized? Before we get into it, we have a question. Yeah, last week we used the question to set up the conversation. I think we should do that again. Do you have the question yeah. uh, in front That's of great. you? Really appreciated this question. It's 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 a fantastic question. Um, and I'll just say this before we get to the question. Um you know, when, when we preach a message, um, every message itself has a context, just like the Bible has a context. Um, and you can't ask it to say more than the context would allow. Sometimes with a message, we run into the same trouble. I was just having a conversation in the lobby with one of our guys who said, okay, I get the scoreboard mentality when it comes to the gospel. And you said there's a better way, like, let's break through the scoreboard mindset. And I'll explain what that was. Um, but like, at work, you're like kind of keeping score on people. Uh, and so how does this all actually work together? Is it just a philosophical elimination of the scoreboard or how does this play out in our everyday, everyday lives? And so, you know, an illustration like the scoreboard, when we press it too much, of course, there's some limitations, but I think hopefully it, it worked in explaining how freeing the gospel is from a scoreboard mindset. So the thing I'm trying to say here is Context is very, very important to understanding how far to take the information inside of the boundaries of that context. Totally. Yeah. And uh, I think this question is great. I think it'll provide some clarity. Yep. Um, great thing about it for this individual. I actually shared it with my group last night, and I was just like, I just want to read through this question, yep. and I want to workshop it with you guys. So Let's do it. Uh, read so, it now. Yeah, yeah, now we're going to do it again here. So, uh, so this individual um, attends the Draper campus, uh, they said, and uh, they really enjoy the podcast and the ministry that we're doing at SMCC. So here's this individual's question. Um, they say, the unmerciful servant in the parable accepts a free gift the canceling of his considerable debt and turns and refuses to extend a much smaller forgiveness to his neighbor. The king sends him to be tortured. We are told this is how God will treat us if we are unmerciful. In this analogy, is the unmerciful servant a Christian? It seems he is because he has accepted the gift of his debt cancellation. Doesn't that mean that we as Christians can be saved, but still sent to hell for being unforgiving? Um, and she, she says uh, at the end, also the context of the parable is that uh, it is Jesus talking to Peter, a disciple of Jesus, which seems to lend further to support this. So she is looking at a couple different pieces. She's got some questions. 
trying to figure this out. So let's take a look at it. I'll I'll jump in with something. Um, I think absolutely the context of it being a parable itself, that type of um, thing, leads us to understand it in a certain way and to draw certain things from it and not stretch it too far. But even beyond that, um, one of the things within the language of the question itself is that he received the cancellation of his debt. And there's some question when you look at the specific language of the parable as to whether or not he actually ever received it. Because if you notice, uh, verse 26, it says, The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. He doesn't beg to be forgiven. He doesn't beg for the debt to be canceled. He begs for more time so that he can pay it back. And the servant's master takes pity on him, cancels the debt, and lets him go. But his behavior that follows seems to be an indication that even though the debt has been canceled, he still wants to pay it back. That's why he wants the silver from the other mm-hmm. individual. Yeah. 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 That's a great, that's a great insight for sure. Um, so what is Jesus trying to say here? Is he, is he giving us a salvation type of conversation or is it, you know, is it something different? Cause the question is a salvation question. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I would, I would put forth that this isn't a salvation passage. It includes forgiveness, but not vertically. It includes, I mean, it's both connected, but it's, you know, Peter says the lead up to the thing is how much should I, how, you know, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins mm-hmm. against me? And then mm-hmm. Jesus kind of connects vertical with horizontal forgiveness. Um, but it seems to be more about a relational aspect of forgiveness than a vertical one. Mm-hmm. Um, so Trevor, how, how would you uh, answer that question in terms of, is this salvation or not? Yeah. I think at the very least, you could say that, um, you know, our, our own ability to, our own ability and willingness to forgive, which is absolutely something we're invited to grow in, something we take next steps in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think forgiveness isn't something that happens just in a moment. It's something that we continue to, um, you know, almost in the language of, of debt, you continue to make small payments over time as yeah. you choose not to hold resentment, not to like retell the story over and over again, not to continually to dig these things up, but instead mm-hmm. to continue to act and think and speak in a way that is with a posture of forgiveness. Um, but I'll say this. So it's something we grow in, that being the caveat. I think what the parable is getting at is that our willingness and ability to forgive is in some ways a litmus test of the extent to which we understand our own forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I think Jesus is saying. So mm-hmm. he's talking again about his culture. The culture that Jesus is building in the world values forgiveness in such a way that says, if you're unable to forgive another, you need to look carefully at your ability to receive forgiveness from God. Mm-hmm. And if you cannot forgive another, one of the primary reasons for that is you actually haven't understood what God has done for you in Christ to forgive you. Mm-hmm. And so um, <clears throat> I don't think we take this all the way to the line of salvation and say you can lose your salvation. I think we take it all the way to the line where Jesus wants everybody to look him in the eye and go, you know, when he was teaching this, um, oh my goodness, have I actually received forgiveness from God? And if so, I should be able to forgive another. And so I don't think Jesus is teaching you can lose your salvation. I don't think this is teaching the man got saved. I think that's putting language and theological concepts into the parable that the context doesn't allow for. So I don't want to ask the parable to say too much about soteriology or salvation. I want the parable to stay in the context that Jesus intended, and that is in a relational context that that has vertical implications. And, uh, I think the Jesus would have want us, wanted us to walk away going, because I've been forgiven, I am able to forgive and I should, that's the kingdom that he's building. So I think yeah. that's the way to kind of approach that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think in short, what we talked about a group is just 
essentially what you said, have I internalized the forgiveness that I've received from God mm-hmm. enough that there's an outlet also for it horizontally mm-hmm. received a vertically outlet for it horizontally. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So back to the question, um, I think reading, you know, asking the text to answer a question about salvation, uh, violates, um, her, the hermeneutic of context. So I think that, uh, helps me, um, address the question that we got. And then, um, you know, when we're talking, were they a Christian? Were they not a Christian? Once again, I think we're reading in a soteriology of salvation there that, um, doesn't, doesn't fit the, the parable. He's not mm-hmm. talking about salvation. He's talking about kingdom. And so I, I, although we're tempted to wonder, well, was Peter, he was a disciple. So is that the same as a Christian and who's the man of the story? Um, it's important to put some guardrails around the context. Mm-hmm. And we also know we can do that because of other things the Bible says about salvation and forgiveness and losing your salvation as well. Yeah. So, so as I put it all together, I would just say, uh, it's not about losing your salvation. It's somebody who truly wants to go back to a workspace mentality. I call it a scoreboard mindset on Sunday. That person will lose in the end because they can't work their way out of their debt. And that's the torture piece at the end. You know what I mean? And it's easy to read in this. Is this eternal hell? What's the torture going to gonna be like? I think Jesus, is he's not trying to teach us a theology of hell in this passage. Right. He's, I think he's trying to say, it will be very, very bad for you if you keep a scoreboard mindset with others because it, by implication, will mean you're keeping a scoreboard mindset with God, your Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do that, you will lose in the end. And yeah, if we want to take that and marry it to other things we know about eternity, then eternal suffering comes into that, hell comes into that. But we know that from other places, not from this yeah. place in the Bible. Mm-hmm. One kind of interesting thing about this parable is that it arises out of a conversation with Peter specifically. Right. Prior to Jesus's death, resurrection, prior to his trial, prior to Peter actually disowning him. And so it's a message on Peter's basically saying, how often do I have to forgive people? Mm-hmm. And basically missing that, hey man, you're going to need forgive, like you need forgiveness too. Yep. And uh, his moment of greatest need in that regard is still ahead of him. Um, I mean, technically, we talk in terms of justification. We're justified, forgiven of uh, everything we've done in the past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. But I guess Peter's experiential need to to know that reality is still ahead of him when he abandons Jesus, yeah. and uh, and then Jesus dies, and then yeah. So it's interesting to see that in the context that gave rise to this story, Peter's a part of it. Yeah. Before mm-hmm. I can ever give forgiveness, I need to recognize I need it. And it, it just seems like he's preparing Peter with that mindset through this really punchy story. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, once again, I think the story shouldn't be taken into the realm of uh, soteriology, which is the study of salvation. Cause I just don't think the context uh, brings us there. Yep. So hopefully that answers the, the question. I think it does. I think that did is it answer it. every part of the question? Could you read it one more time? I just want to yeah, make sure yeah, I, get, yeah. I get all the aspects of the question. I think it did. Addressed. Um, yeah. So the unmerciful servant. Um, so there's there's this idea that the unmerciful servant is a Christian per se. Um, right. So context isn't isn't pushing us into Christian or not, in or out, saved or not saved. Yeah. It's more of a person in the kingdom needs to understand this aspect, this value of forgiveness. How much does the king in the kingdom value forgiveness? What role does forgiveness play in the kingdom? It's mm-hmm. this big of a role. It's this but, important. Yeah. 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 Um, so the king sends them to be tortured. We are told this is how God will treat us if we are unmerciful. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So God will torture us if we can't forgive, you know, is that I, Trevor, I mean, is hey, that what it's it, saying? See, it's uh, Jesus said it, not me. Will God torture you if you can't forgive? <laughs> what do you think? I mean, do we take it that far? And what does torture look like? I mean, 
What do you think? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, I would look to, again, I think going back to the conversation we all looked at, the, the parable sh- clearly shows his inability to forgive. And the question is, why was he unable to forgive? And it's because he hadn't received it in the first place. Mm. Um, I think that's really where it all kind of rises and falls. Yep. And if you want to try and work your way into God's, um, you know, it, work, earn your way into God's presence, earn your salvation um, by keeping score, you're going to wind up separated from God because you can't. Mm-hmm. You can't earn your righteousness. And that's why we preached uh, justice and justification from Romans 3 all at once. Yeah. Because both of those concepts are important. So when we leaned into Romans 3, that was pulling from other places to make some sense of mm-hmm. this pa- parable. Yeah, and that structure of um, of justice and forgiveness, justice being wrapped up within what true biblical forgiveness is, I mm-hmm. thought was so helpful because a lot of times forgiveness has been taught, understood, and even practiced, unfortunately, even recently, um, across our country in ways that have not been, uh, they've separated it and it hasn't really, mm. it hasn't been the full understanding of forgiveness that the Bible teaches yeah. and it's only made the situations worse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so we, we, uh, pulled from, um, uh, just a horrific story of USA gymnastics and looked at the work of Rachel Den Hollander, who is able to connect, um, the theological concept of penal substitution um, with forgiveness in a way that makes sense. And, um, you know, the, the paper, you can find the paper that we quoted from, uh, was a paper that she and her husband presented at the 70th annual evangelical theological society, their meeting. And she walked through, um, how the two connect because, um, just as forgiveness has been beat up inside of our culture, biblical forgiveness, like let's, it just lets people off the hook. They, you know, that mentality. Yeah. And unfortunately that's happened a lot. Like that person's a leader, that person's, you know, they can't fall. They're too important. Let's just forgive. Like that's, that's trash. Like that's not, mm-hmm. that's not what the Bible teaches. So there's the air on that side. Well, the other critique is the critique of penal substitution, which is Jesus paying a penalty is like cosmic child abuse. And that's fallen out of favor. You know, that's become an unpopular opinion too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if we look at penal substitution and say it's bad because it looks, makes God look like a God of wrath or anger or justice. And at the same time, we are criticizing forgiveness as being letting people off too easy. I mean, this is culture's way of critiquing Christianity without seeing how, um, how justice and forgiveness fit together. And that penal substitution actually is the most meaningful way to think of forgiveness because it upholds justice, which is actually the most meaningful way to think of forgiveness in all of our relationships mm-hmm. where justice is maintained. Um, the fulfillments, the fulfillment of justice met justice fulfilled, but also those who could never fulfill it are forgiven if they accept Jesus and allow his payment to take their place. And so I think um, her paper says it very beautifully. It's rather long, but I, I'd love for people to read it because I think it really does do a good job of redeeming and um, redefining for people how penal substitution is the best way to think of salvation and how that actually leads into healthy forgiveness. Not the kind of forgiveness that gives abusers a foothold, not the type of forgiveness that only hurts um, and adds to the pain of a victim, but the type of forgiveness that um, upholds justice, but really releases us from the debt of Mm -hmm. having to carry it. Yeah. So that's powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of to wrap this up, I was just looking at the ending of this question. Um, It kind of ends with, does this mean that we as a Christian can be saved 
but still sent to hell for being unforgiving. And let me just tack on to that a little bit. You know, just even my in my group, I could I think I could sense that you know we realize it's not even as a Christian sometimes it's not easy to forgive. Mm-hmm. So what do we do with that? Uh, I mean, yeah. Why is I mean why is that? Yeah. I mean, totally, totally. I'll just say to that part of the question, no. The answer is no. This doesn't mean you can be saved and still be sent to hell. That that's not that's connecting dots. Or I would say this: it's like putting pieces of the puzzle trying to force pieces of the same puzzle together when they don't fit. Right. Right. So, so it's a healthy question. It's a good question because she's got the pieces of the puzzle Mm -hmm. all on the table. But sometimes when you do a puzzle, you're like, I think these fit together. It sounds like they fit together. So I'm going to try and wedge them in. Yeah. And you got to look at it like, do these actually fit? And I would say that, um, at that part of the question, it's pieces of the puzzle that go in different places Mm -hmm. trying to be wedged together. So the answer to that part of a question is no, that's not what Jesus is saying. What is he saying? Well, I think we've already answered that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, really glad we could address that question. Yeah, so then let's go to forgiveness. So here's what happened at, at the Draper campus. I was speaking here. A lot of people came up to me and had, had a bunch of forgiveness questions based mm. on the message, and I, I expected that. Um, forgiveness is such a big concept, such a heavy concept, so so emotionally charged that, you know, for us to walk through this, it might take counseling, therapy, a forgiveness workshop. It might take a whole sermon series on forgiveness. Um so maybe we can workshop that now just a little bit. Yeah. Um, one of the questions that someone came up to me with, they said, hey, um, how do you forgive somebody who's no longer here? Ooh. So that was a very, very heavy question. And um, because, because it's tough, another person said, can you forgive somebody if they don't ask for forgiveness? Can you Ooh. still forgive? So someone didn't ask for forgiveness. Can you still right. forgive them? Um, some people have some questions about forgiveness in terms of um, like, I'll never forgive them for what they've done. Like, like uh, because that kind of gives us a sense of power. Like I'm going to hold on to this. It'll vindicate me. Mm-hmm. It'll help me hold them accountable because mm-hmm. there's a sense of justice there. And if I just let them off and then does the justice fall away too? So I'm going to hang on to it. So there's a lot of, you know, do things go back to normal? Forgiving means forgetting. There's all these misconceptions yeah. and things about forgiveness. So I just thought, in today's podcast, we could try and clear up some of those yeah. mm-hmm. um, for the, the listener. So the, the definition of forgiveness from the message, does anybody remember what it was? I'd have to go look. <laughs> uh, Trevor? Re- releasing someone else from making it right? Yeah, exactly. Ooh, yeah, releasing someone else from having to make it right. So, you know, just to break this all down, um, justice knows the score. That was the point we made. So when someone commits a wrong, here's where they are. Over there is where they should have been. The gap between that is the offense, the debt, the penalty that has to be made up, right? Does that make sense? And justice knows that. In order to forgive, you have to know the debt incurred and um, incurred, 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 yeah. Yeah, sure. That's the word. Yeah, you got to know that debt. And justice allows you to know it. You know what I mean? If you're speeding, you're going to get a ticket. Justice says, here's the amount. Here's what it takes to pay this off. Here's what it Mm -hmm. takes to make it right. And in the gospel, it's a death. It's a sacrifice. That's what we see in Romans 3. And of course, that's the natural consequence, a normal and just penalty when you walk away from the God of life, the one who gave you life when you rebel against him. Death is the way to close the gap back up. I, I think that's, that makes some sense. And so justice helps us know the penalty. It helps us know the gap. It helps us know the punishment that should, should be paid. That's crucial to then being able to forgive because forgiveness says, I won't make you pay that debt. I will fill the gap myself and close the gap down, taking the pain upon myself, absorbing it my, myself. So if forgiveness is releasing from a debt, 
if they're not asking for forgiveness, you can still release them from the debt. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. You can still say, I don't expect you to pay me back. That's forgiveness. I don't mm. expect you to pay me back. I deserve to be paid back. I understand that, but I will forgive that. And I will take this on myself, you know? So someone, you know, breaks the window in your car, Adam, it's going to cost $400 to get it repaired. Mm -hmm. It was a hit and run. They, whatever. Well, you're going to pay it. You know what I mean? You're going to take the debt on yourself. Mm -hmm. And um, that's one way to make it right. One way to make it right is they pay. Another way to make it right is you pay. Mm -hmm. You decided to pay in this, their release from the debt. Yeah. And I guess extending that language, you could talk about reconciliation as basically opening up the opportunity to accrue the same debt in that relationship. Ooh. Yeah. And you don't always have to do that. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. I think it's mm-hmm. wonderful to get there, but, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, there are times when boundaries are uh, a safe and a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So someone who's passed away, someone who's passed away cannot uh, ask for forgiveness and yet you can still release them from the debt. There as, we go. as difficult as that is. In fact, my mom was at church and we drove home and she was talking about her own, her own immediate family, the family she grew up in and her sister and mom who had passed away and just some of the pain. And, and at one point there was a statement made, like I'll never forgive her for what she's done, you know? And um, man, that's just a tough place, tough place to stay. If you're a Jesus follower, he doesn't really allow you to stay there. That doesn't mean you just go, I forgive you. You got to do some work there. You know, it's yeah. not, this is not easy. Um, but Jesus wants us to be able to do that work yeah. to understand yeah. forgiveness. It's interesting enough that our, at our small group, somebody, um, their mom passed away just two years ago and just that bad relationship with this individual and got to talk through some of that as well. Mm-hmm. And I think the important part is for this individual and others, like you said earlier, is forgiveness isn't just like moving. It's not, it, it really has nothing to do with just like moving as quickly as possible to you know, reconciliation or forgiveness. But like, like you said, you got to count. We kind of said in our group, counting the cost. like what, yeah. what, what, what they what, take from me, what they take from me, innocence, purity, peace. Yeah. You can't move money. past that. You, right. you have to do that work. And that's why justice is the prerequisite to forgiveness. You, yeah. you can't just say, I have some bad feelings. I forgive them for my bad feelings. Mm-hmm. No, you got to do the hard work of saying they took this from me and it was wrong. Yep. And that's where um, Rachel Den Hollander's work on um, how justice and forgiveness connect is really, really valuable. Wow. That's kind of fascinating because it shows the connection between justice and grief, that uh, yeah. grief is basically sort of like the emotional processing of... of um, what was work, lost. Yeah, what was lost, mm-hmm. which yeah. is a justice conversation. They took it from me. I need mm-hmm. to grieve what was lost because I should have had that. I should have had a childhood. I should have had purity. I should have had... Um, a safe mother or father. I mm-hmm. deserve that. Mm-hmm. That would have been right. I didn't have it. I need to grieve the loss. That's very, very sad. I have to say goodbye to that. And so grief, yeah, is um, sort of the emotional response to the loss. Justice is sort of the legal response to the loss. This is what they took. This is how valuable it was. Mm-hmm. Um, they could pay me back. Um, and that would be part of reconciliation, perhaps. You know what I mean? If, if yeah. possible. Hey, I took this from you. That was wrong. Um, and here's how I repent. Maybe that's possible. The other way is just to ask for forgiveness. In mm-hmm. order to reconcile, there does need to be, I think, an asking for forgiveness. Mm. Yeah. I took this from you, and it was wrong. Would you release me from the debt that I've incurred? I'd, I would pay it back if I could. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. maybe I just can't. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that then leads to the forgiveness aspect, which then depending on how the other person responds, that can lead to reconciliation, which then can lead to trust building again. It's, it's a, it's a massive process. Yeah. Yeah. I think I made the joke last night at small group. I was like, Sometimes I think, you know, Sunday school does us a disservice and we try to oversimplify something like forgiveness is a pretty advanced topic. You I, know what I mean? I appreciate <laughs> you saying that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'll say this. I was over in one of our kids' classrooms yesterday and on the wall it says forgiveness is releasing someone from a debt. Yeah. I yeah. just love that. You know, we're, yeah. we're teaching our kids the same thing we're learning in the, in the main room, you know, yep. in the auditorium. And, and I love that. And yet when you get into that debt getting bigger and bigger and bigger mm-hmm. as we get older, the consequences of our actions get bigger. And so that debt gets, gets larger too. And that's what makes it so advanced. So painful. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually I'll just go off on a short little bunny trail, but yeah, I mean, I think it's cool that in kids we get to, uh, simplify and summarize forgiveness like that. And probably what has happened, or I'll say this has happened to me, um, growing up in the church is that, yeah, you have these, ideas that are simple, simple, simple. And then there's not the translation to an adult one day where you're like, how do I, as a healthy adult, forgive? I know when I was six, I learned forgiveness was this, but there's never these next steps of like, now when there's big things, big consequences, big debts that, you know, like how do we work through this? So I just think that that's an interesting thing. Like how do we teach our kids this and help in, you know, stages of age actually work through this more and more. Uh, Cause you can't just go to an adult and be like, forgiveness is this. It's like, Oh, there's so much more to work through yeah. than that. My, yeah, my thought is it's not it's not a lump sum payment. <laughs> it's uh, small payments mm. over time. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, good. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's so the misconception forgiving means forgetting. You know, and I think right. that came from those passages where it says God doesn't remember your sin anymore. Mm. And it's just a misunderstanding of remember. Remember means to recall in order to act. He doesn't treat us as our sin deserves. So when it says he doesn't remember, it doesn't mean God's got a bad memory. It means he won't bring it up to use it against us. And so when you forgive your spouse for something that they've done, it doesn't mean you can't remember what they did. It means you won't bring it up to use it against them in the future. Yeah. And as long as you're bringing up something to use it against somebody, like this one time, you know, I did this. Well, you always do that. You know, that shows a lack of forgiveness. It really does. So forgiving does not mean forgetting yes that's great in fact that's probably very unhealthy um it might allow you to get hurt over and over again if you're not Mm -hmm. unable to if you are unable to restore um a boundary or put a boundary i was just gonna say that leads into boundaries i mean it forgiveness is not uh like you were saying traveler like okay i forgave and and then split second later now there's reconciliation and the relationship is back to normal and ever and the ways that we acted and talked to and treated each other are is exactly the same that's not true at all. Right. That's not what forgiveness is. And I think there's maybe a, sometimes the naivety around it of like, forgiveness is this, and now everything's back to normal. Mm-hmm. Nope. That's right. just not reality. Yeah. So, Yeah, it feels like an onion sometimes too, that you'll go through different experiences, at least in my experience, that you go through different uh, stages or experiences in life and things you thought you worked through arise all over again. And uh, you kind of have to, you realize there's deeper layers and you have to keep keep making the payments and keep practicing mm-hmm. forgiveness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause the debt might go deeper than you realize. Yes. It's like, you know, yeah, they hit my car. I thought it was a, a fender bender. I had a bump mm-hmm. on my bumper, a bump on my bumper, bump had on a, bumper. Dent, <laughs> a dent on my bumper. And then, Oh, I look underneath and actually there's something bent in the frame, you know? And sometimes mm-hmm. a pain from childhood, we thought we had dealt with it. And then, and then we, uh, it comes up again. And this happened on Sunday. You know, someone said, as you were talking, there was these issues that I thought were gone that somehow flooded back. Mm-hmm. And um, so I guess I haven't forgiven them for that because I can remember it or something. And it's just important to realize, no, that might just be 
you coming, becoming aware of a new element to the hurt, a new part of the grief, a new layer to the debt um, that you hadn't seen before. And then you maybe need to forgive that one, you know? So sometimes with one action, there's the debt is very large and we might forgive part of it because that's all we were able to understand at the time. And now it's important to re, uh, forgive the next part of it. Yeah. I mean, I just, I appreciate the openness and community that I have at my small group and and somebody like, so I mentioned earlier, an individual mother passed away two years ago. This individual hadn't spoken to their mom in almost two decades. Mom entire childhood was in and out of NAAA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that forgiveness is going to be a journey for this person. Mm-hmm. There's going to be things that they understand now that they'll work through. Could be five years later. Oh my gosh, I you know, didn't understand this before. Sure. Now I'm working again on this. But that's very complex. It doesn't just happen in a snap, I don't think. Yeah, and I so appreciate you saying that because um, somebody that I talked to at this campus was like, oh my gosh, if it came up again and I can remember it, I haven't forgiven them. And they started to get a little worried. Mm. Like, oh my gosh, am I the unmerciful person in the passage? Mm. It's like, no, no, God understands the depth of the human soul, of the depth of our emotions and our pain and how, how we're wired. And sometimes when it comes to trauma, we block things out, we can't remember. And sometimes as we get healthier or as we hear something, it sort of unlocks this memory that we, we didn't know we had. And then we deal with that and we do, we work on that. And I think as long as your posture is, I want to forgive. I don't know if I can now, but I would love to, and I would want to, and I'm not going to give up on this. Um, until I've worked through it and I want to release them from the debt. And it doesn't mean you won't grieve. I think you can forgive and still be grieving mm-hmm. too. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so being really careful to make sure you understand the nuances of forgiveness can really free somebody from the pressure of, oh my gosh, I'm still upset. So I, I guess I'm the unmerciful servant. Yeah. The fact that you're, you are working through this, that you're giving attention to this, um, that you're laboring over this topic of forgiveness tells me you're not the unmerciful servant. Yep. It's telling me you're desperate to forgive and you want to get there, but it's really hard. And that's yeah, actually yeah. a good place to be. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, quick, if I could take it in a slightly more technical direction. Let's do well, it. Not that yeah. this has been untechnical, but uh, Romans 3, 25, 26 gets into the atonement in kind of an interesting way. And uh, God, you know, verse 25, God presented him, meaning Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, his patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the time, at the present time, so as to be just in the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Such a helpful passage in light of the conversation we were having. And uh, I feel like there's been some things that I've been learning about the predominant religion here in Utah, I'm teaching a class this past semester that um, you know, had some people within it and we're just getting a chance to dialogue because they have a background in that. And one of the things I've learned is that there's um, sort of an, an understanding of the atonement that is different. And so I think just kind of throwing out the question, how, why do we locate the atonement on the cross specifically? And, mm-hmm. and maybe even from this passage, I feel like that'd be fun to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. When blood I mean, I mean, this is just important to think through. You know, blood is gory. Blood is difficult for some of us. I'm not a big blood guy. Like, I don't, I don't like needles and and all that. Um, I don't like going to the doctor. I just don't do well around around blood. Um, and and yet, why does the Bible seem so focused on it? And um, 
And then how much blood is the focus? Is it just a little bit of blood? Because um, to your point, Trevor, there there is another moment in the Gospels where Jesus sweats, sweats um, drops like blood, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, it's, it's a very, the language there is very precise. Is he actually sweating blood or is it like he's sweating bullets and it's an expression? It's in the agony as if he were bleeding, but it's still just sweat. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a couple different ways to look at that. I tend to think it's a it's a, a figure of speech like uh, sweat and bullets. You know, you're not mm-hmm. don't actually have bullets coming from your head. Yeah. So sweat like drops <laughs> of blood is how I read that. Yeah. Um, is that enough blood to produce salvation to take away our sin, or is it a different amount of blood? How do we work through all of this? And I think if you were to scan the Bible as a whole, look at all the passages that reference blood. Um, blood, I, I said it on Sunday. Is this? It's a symbol and a signal. It's a symbol of a sacrifice that produced death, and it's a signal that death has happened. Um, that so you know it's not it's a certain amount of blood that which would require one to have died. Um, mm. So it's a signal of death and a symbol of death, and in both of those situations, um, the Bible is talking about Jesus's payment being fully offered and finally realized. And so blood is then a picture of death happening. It's not just a little bit of blood. It's so much blood so as to lead and produce death. Mm. And as we mentioned before, the reason for that being death is the appropriate payment for the crime of walking away from the God of life. So that's how I process all that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was I was talking about this with Tim Naylor on uh, on Sunday down at Lehigh. He's one of the um, he's one of our turning point teachers with SMCCU, and he yeah we, we were talking through this. And one of the things he brought up was the connection to the Old Testament with the Day of Atonement. So you've got all that with blood there throughout the whole Bible. Um, you've got the, even the language of sacrifice, which indicates a death and. Atonement within the New Testament is rooted within this Old Testament practice of the Day of Atonement that's outlined in Leviticus chapter 16, where there was basically two goats. Um, One was sacrificed for the sins of the people of Israel uh, over the course of that prior year. It was a—the sacrifice was the washing away of their sins, and then the other goat, they would sort of ceremonially lay uh, whatever was left in terms of sin on that one, and then it would wander off into the wilderness. That's actually where the term scapegoat comes from. And so it was, it was literally the, the sacrifice of the goat that washed away the sins. And uh, that actually even ties into the passage, right? It was in right. his forbearance, his patience, that he left justice unsatisfied for a time uh, until he would come live the perfect life, die on the cross. And, and obviously, I think we talked about it last week, the great white throne judgment is when everything will be mm-hmm. um, dealt with. But yeah, so just really interesting to see how that understanding of the Day of Atonement from Leviticus 16 leads us to see that it was specifically the death on the cross that um, blood is a symbol of Yep, is where the atonement took place. Absolutely, absolutely. So a little bit of blood is not a signal of death. Um, a whole lot of blood absolutely is, and that's kind of the point. So symbol and signal. Another question I got asked, and maybe we'll wrap up with this. You know, we, we highlighted justice in the sermon to sort of build a great infrastructure for understanding forgiveness. So it's like someone could have walked away from the sermon and say, that passage was on forgiveness. You talked about justice for like two-thirds of the message. Why? Because it is the missing link, the missing piece in modern-day culture's understanding of biblical forgiveness. So I wanted to insert it back in 
So, and hopefully that that would free somebody to forgive. Because the reason we keep score all the time is we do have a strong sense of right and wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. We do have a strong sense of justice. And if we're okay understanding how God will handle this in the end, how God will pursue what's right, how God will establish a just world, okay, I can trust that God will handle this justice piece. I don't need to hang on to unforgiveness as if I were going to be the one to take care of this justice piece. Because I think that's sometimes why we hang on to unfor- hang on to unforgiveness is that, well, if I forgive them, I'm giving up on justice, and you're not. Mm -hmm. And so I thought if we can get that right, it can actually inspire people, motivate people to be forgiving people. So someone came up to me and they said, hey, when's this justice going to (laughs) happen? It'd be great if it could happen as soon as possible. And I said, yeah, you know, I understand that. I said, let me, let me share with you three ways in which it's happening number or will happen. Number one, it'll happen in the future when Jesus establishes his kingdom here and he rules. So there's a there's a not yet aspect of this. Number two, it happens through the justice system, where the legal um, the legal system actually punishes crime. You know, when Rachel Den Hollander speaks up and Larry Nasser's, you know, in prison for however long, he'll never see the light of day again. Like that's how justice is happening. And then as Jesus followers fight for that fight for justice, fight for what's right in their cities and their relationships in the world. Justice is established that way. So in those three ways, God is producing justice in our world, and we should be very thankful for that. And we can join him in that, and in the process, we can also forgive as well. And so that is how all of this leads to human flourishing. So we said the kingdom is Jesus's values that produce behaviors that produce human flourishing. Humans flourish in that type of setting. In that type of environment, in those cultures where justice is upheld, but forgiveness is offered to those who didn't uphold the justice, now we're actually producing this safe, loving community Mm -hmm. um, that allows us to thrive, flourish, glorify God, glorify God with how we treat others. And that's what Jesus has in mind. And that's why this parable is so crucial uh, for us to take to heart, because the kingdom of Jesus is the most, as we said on Sunday, the most just and forgiving culture on the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. And that's what the kingdom is like. Nice. Justice and forgiveness coexisting. Same time. Bottom line is forgiveness is more than saying sorry. Mm, mm. <laughs> Bottom line. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Got quick, a... quick movie reference on the way out. What movie? <laughs> Just Friends? Don't, don't, don't know, know it. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor, I thought you just read books. I didn't know you watched movies. Yeah, yeah. he's been well, doing a lot. I read movie about references. that movie in a book. Ah, <laughs> oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah. So take away justice and forgiveness. We the kingdom has them. Kingdom has them both. Yep, both together. There we go. Cool. All right. Thank you guys for being here, Eric, Trevor. Thank you for all that, and listeners. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for our listener who sent in the question. If you want to send in more questions, you can do so to smcc at smccutah. We will see you for our last podcast next week. Take care. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.